0: To make you go hmm all right hey i love those videos good morning hey turn to the book of jonah today no series on great incredible miracles of the bible would be complete if we didn't look at the story of jonah jonah the famous story of jonah and the proverbial whale or whatever it was that we're going to study today that that swallowed him We're going to look at the story, we're going to learn from the story, we're going to learn a lot about Jonah, but we're going to learn even more about God. That's the point of the story. My name is Pastor Dale. If you're new to Seacoast, welcome. Uh, It's great for me to be back. Welcome to Seacoast. I look forward to meeting you out in the plaza afterwards. And uh, thank God for the great job that Ryan and the team have been doing over the last four weeks. Uh, Becky and I, yeah, you ought to clap for that. Yeah. So you want me to leave for another four weeks, is that right? I'll take it. I mean, I'll take all the vacation you want to give me. But no, we had two great weeks in Africa doing leadership training, uh, working really hard, and then we had two great weeks resting really hard. You know, sometimes rest is hard, but it's worth the effort, you know? So uh, Becky and I had a chance to celebrate actually our 40th wedding anniversary, which is actually today, actually today. So you should clap for her, not me, okay? This is perseverance, 40 40 years. I was 20, Becky was 19, when we tied the knot and uh, began this journey through life, and it's the uh, second best decision I ever made, uh, after trusting Christ, uh, putting my trust in, in her. So I, uh, we, it was great for us to have a chance to kind of celebrate that. You know, in kind of the irony of that, you know, where I'm, I'm studying the story of Jonah, right? And, and where does Jonah take place? Anybody know? <clears throat> right. It takes place on land or sea. Yeah, mostly, mostly, at least uh, the big part we like to talk about took place at sea. So as I studied the book, I kind of thought, you know, Lord, where do you want me to try to really capture the mood of the book? So let me show you a picture of literally taking the day that I was finishing the sermon. Okay, so that's my view, finishing the sermon. You know, it's tough. You know, not much to look at there. Except, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, Becky and I did a little Mediterranean cruise thing. And we'd always wanted to do it sometime before we died Thought about doing it for our 50th wedding anniversary. And I told Becky, I said, you know, honey, I may not even be able to walk when I'm 50. You know, you know in, in that one. So let's go ahead and do it on the 40th. And uh, it was great to be able to, uh, to relax. But, but it was strange to be working on the story of Jonah and think, you know something? It happened right here. Right here. In these waters. But it really happened. So pray with me and we're going to study it together. Father God, thank you for this story. Uh, Thank you for this fact of history that is amazing, but yet hard to understand. So I pray you give us your wisdom, give us your understanding as we study this very real man mentioned by Jesus himself, very real prophet of his day, who struggled, uh, who wasn't perfect. We pray you teach us uh, from his imperfections and from you as our perfect God. Teach us about God, teach us about ourselves and Jonah. In Christ's name, amen. Pick it up, the book begins in chapter one. Here's the setting for the book of Jonah. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Abitai, saying, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, but Jonah rose up, okay, okay, God says, rise up and go, so he rises up and goes. But it says, he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and so he went down to Joppa, which was the port town in Israel, went down to Joppa, the nearest port town, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down, in go, uh, went down into it, into the storerooms of the ship where he bedded down to go with them to Tarshish From the presence of the Lord now just kind of stop right there and let me give you the setting Because a lot of times Jonah is criticized heavily for doing this and and he deserves it But you need to understand what he was up against The setting would have been around probably the year of around 785 to 775 BC Now for most of you, you know exactly what that means, right? What were the headlines in that time? Okay, if you go back into that time in the 700s B.C., um, Israel was being ruled by a king. Uh, The king was named Jeroboam, and he's described in Scripture as a king who did what was evil uh, before God. So Jonah is a prophet of God. He's a prophet of God at a time in history in which even the king of his own country was known for doing evil. Okay, so he's a busy prophet, right? I mean, he's living in bad times in Israel when things are, are were not really good. So he had a bad king, a wicked king leading the nation. So God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I've got an assignment. I want you to rise up and go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was part of the area we would call Assyria. Now, Nineveh was to the about 500 miles or so uh, to the east. So Jonah rises up, goes to the west, down to Joppa, buys a ticket for a port known as Tarshish now many, everybody knows Tarshish right you've been there anybody on a cruise been to Tarshish well they're a little uncertain but historians tell us that Tarshish was probably most likely a port in the southwest coastal area of Spain now are you getting the picture Okay, so Jonah is in the eastern end of the Mediterranean, right? Okay, where Israel is, right? And he goes down to Joppa, and and he's told to go 500 miles east to Nineveh, and instead he gets a ticket for Tarshish. And Tarshish, therefore, in that day and age, they didn't really think of the world much outside of the Mediterranean Sea, right? So basically he said, how far west can I go? And he took off there. So he gets a ticket to the westernmost region as far away from Nineveh as he can get, and he goes into the belly of the of the um, of the ship and they take off. Now we don't know for sure exactly how many days God let him go in the wrong direction. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but he is sailing toward Tarshish. this we know, and it's in exactly the opposite direction God told him to go. Now you've got to see now why would he do that? Why go to all that trouble? okay Nineveh Nineveh and the Assyrians are this kind of people. Uh, the, the, the Nineveh was no small player in the game in the 700s. In fact a few just one generation later in 722 we know that Nineveh and the Assyrians, Uh, would sweep over the region and become the major empire in the world at that day. They would control much of that area. They would sweep over and conquer Israel. They would take people away into captivity. So this is the kind of people. They were people that had a good way to, to, you know, whenever they marched and conquered a city, here's how they made sure that the citizens understood who was in control. They would conquer the city, they would get a bunch of the men, enough to really make an impression, they would behead them. Uh, And the reason they beheaded them was it was easier to stack the skulls than the bodies. So they could stack the skulls up in a pile at the entrance to the city so that as people came in, you kind of got the idea, hey, you know, the new king in town seems to mean business. In case you think you're going to cross us or rebel against us, this is what we do to the people that don't like us. Now this, these were the Ninevites. So you're Jonah. Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. Tell them that their wickedness has come up before me. I'm tired of it. And in 40 days, I'm going to judge them if they don't repent. Now you understand what Jonah was dealing with. Bring it up to contemporary language today. It would be as if God said to you today, Dale, Cole, Ryan, Jim, I want you to go get up and get a ticket and go to Iraq and go to the leaders of ISIS who are in the news and tell them that their wickedness has come up before me and I'm going to judge them in 40 days if they don't repent and put their faith in the true God. Um, That's your next assignment. Rwanda was fun, but this is different. What do you do? And I share that with you because, you know, Jonah's kind of the bad guy in this story, but when you really put it in that language, how many of us are quick to buy that ticket? How many of us in 1944 would have been eager to take the assignment get up, fly to Germany, go talk to a guy named Hitler and tell him his wickedness has come up before me and I'm going to judge him if he doesn't repent. How many want that assignment? And just meet him at Dachau. I mean, meet him you know, meet him at the death camp while you're at it. See, this was the environment that Jonah was up for. So therefore, if I were to break this story into three big pieces, here it is as I tell it to you, and we'll read some excerpts from it, and you can read the whole story this week with me if you do the... Uh, Uh, the um, daily encounters all right but here we go chapter one is this jonah is afraid and he has reason to be because god has given him the most terrifying assignment you could ask for it'd be bad enough to go to your own wicked king over israel and deliver this message but now he's going to the most pagan most vicious people of the day and he's going to deliver this message he is afraid and running from god so he takes off for tarshish he's afraid and running from god And like I said, in 2 Kings 14, if you want to read the background, tells you what was going on in Israel at this time. In 2 Kings 14, just write it down. But Jeroboam, as scripture says, did evil in the sight of God. So he had trouble at home, but God sends him on the road. Says, yes, God, got it, got it, got it, not going to do it. And he heads the opposite direction. Now, if you fast forward, what happens next? Uh, begins to get his attention because in chapters 2 and 3 I summarize them with the phrase Jonah is still afraid but now he returns to God he begins to listen to God because here's what happens in the next part of the story Um, the Lord verse 4 chapter 1 hurled a great wind on the sea there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up and then the sailors became afraid And every man cried out to his God, because these are polytheistic people. They believe in different gods, and they're all, hey man, if you got a God, it's a good time to ask for some prayer. So they're all calling out to their God. But the storm doesn't stop, and the ship is about ready to break up, verse 4. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they began to throw the cargo overboard, which would get them in trouble, but that's their only hope. They're lightening the ship. But then Jonah, who had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and had fallen sound asleep. He is sleeping through the storm. So the captain approached him, woke him up, says, Hey, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us us cast lots so we may learn Whose account this calamity has struck us? So they cast lots. Usually these were stones of different colors to see who draws the, you know, picture this. Picture if you had a bunch of, of uh, it's like drawing straws to see who gets the short straw. So they, they draw lots to see who maybe the gods will use that to identify the culprit. And sure enough, God knows what he's doing. Okay, and, and the lot falls to Jonah. So they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Whose people are you? In other words, the interrogation is happening. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the God, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, the true creator God. And the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. In other words, when he bought his ticket and came on board, they said, where are you going? I'm going with you to Tarshish. What, do you have business in Tarshish? He said, no, I just need to get away from my God. So he had actually told them this. You know, probably not a good thing to reveal when you buy your cruise ticket. But, you know, that's what he said. He says, I'm taking your cruise because I I just need to get as far away from my God as I can. So they, they, they then they remember this. He he reveals it. He admits it. And they said, "Then what should we do to you so that the sun may become calm? Give us some help, for the sun was for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy." Verse 11. So he says to them, "Pick me up and throw me into the sea." Yeah, you ought to laugh at that. But Jonah knew what's going on. He knew that his God had control of the of the sea of the storm, and that he was the problem. And at this point, he's ready to just say, then just let me die. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come. Verse 13, however, the men rowed desperately to return to land, uh, but they could not make it for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. In other words, notice this, these unbelieving pagans of different gods Even they had enough character that they said, we we don't want to pitch a guy into the ocean, not in the midst of this storm. He's a goner. It wasn't the calm seas that you saw that I showed you from the balcony of my little boat that I was on. Okay, no, it wasn't that at all. This was a raging sea. And even they said, so let's double up our effort. They they row even harder trying to overcome the storm, make it to land. And they're failing and the boat's going to break up and finally... Finally, they say, okay, we got to do what he said to do. So they called on the Lord. And this is what these pagans now pray. We earnestly pray, O Lord, talking to to, uh, Jonah's God. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. In other words, God, we know this is what you want us to do. We don't want to do it. We don't like doing it. Please don't hold it against us when we see you someday. And they do it. So they picked up Jonah, verse 15, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Boom. No, no, no coincidence here. And the sea stopped its raging, and then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. In other words, a revival breaks out on the ship. you got a bunch of new believers in the true God of the universe. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights now so we see Jonah running from God beginning now in chapters two and three we see Jonah afraid but he begins to turn to God because he's now finding himself number one drowning in the ocean and then all of a sudden realizes he is swallowed by a great fish. Now let me pause for a minute, can this happen? Let's be real, can this happen? People that study whales, for example, will tell you that a whale can't swallow a person. There are great fish in the ocean that do have the capacity to swallow people, and that's been known but they're usually large sharks and other types of animals, other types of, uh, other types of fish. But, you know, whales, to be honest, normally do not do this. Now, there have been stories, and you'll read all kinds of stories, people claiming that it's happened or hasn't happened. Some may be reliable, some may not. But here's the deal. Number one is this is not a whale. This is called a great fish. It's called a great fish. In Matthew, they mistranslated whale. But the reality is in some versions of your Bible, but it's, it's it's a word that means a great fish. It could be a sea monster type word, for example. So it is some type of a great creature of the sea. Number two, it says, so God prepared a great fish. In other words, whatever fish this is, it is a customized fish. By God, okay? In other words, God says, and maybe so, if it was a great whale, like a big blue whale or sperm whale, you know, God says, okay, guess what? I'm going to stick my divine fist down your throat. Now you have no trouble swallowing Jonah. I, I don't know what it was, but God customizes the fish. He prepares a fish for this assignment, and He brings that fish there, and He directs him right on Jonah, and He swallows him. So this is a miracle. So, you know, when the scientists want to debate, oh, could this happen or could not? this not happen? The, the, the correct answer is, you're correct that this does not normally happen, but that's why it's called a miracle. There's no reason to be upset or try to debate it or try to prove that it can happen. It's a great fish prepared by God for this assignment. He swallows Jonah, and then he's, Jonah is the, in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, secondly, can a man survive in that belly? Again, doesn't matter. <clears throat> because if God wants a man to survive, he'll survive. That's the second part of the miracle. The other thing, though, is this. Jesus mentions this story directly as, a, as something that really happened. And Jesus mentions it in reference to his own resurrection from the dead. And he says, just as Jonah was in the belly, belly of the great fish and, and came out alive um, you know, three days later, so shall the Son of Man die and be buried and come out of the grave alive after three days. Jonah is an illustration and proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and was resurrected. I personally believe Jonah most likely died in the stomach of this creature and then God preserved him enough that God resurrected him when the next events happen. The way this story is written, you really can't, Either God miraculously preserved his life, which is no problem for a God that makes people okay, and great fish, or God allowed him to die and and resurrected him. In fact, I personally probably lean that direction. But this is, you know, Jonah has a beautiful poem in which he describes later on, after his his, uh, journey to the beach, as I call it, rough ride to the beach, um, you know, Jonah describes it this way. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, chapter 2. And God answered me. I I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. It means the belly of Sheol. Um, And you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight, O God. Nevertheless, I will look again to you toward your holy temple The water encompassed me to the point of death. In other words, he says, I knew I was dying in the water and the great deep engulfed me and the weeds wrapped around my head and I I descended to the roots of the mountain. So he's describing his descent into the ocean and the earth with its bars was all around me and you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you, O God, with a voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from my Lord. And when the Lord heard Jonah's faith being expressed, it says in verse 10, chapter 2, then the Lord commanded the fish. So this is going on. So basically they fast forward three days and three nights. So there's a point of faith where Jonah cries out to God. It's either while he's sinking in the water, he knows he's about to die, but he exercises his faith and expresses it, and, uh, and, and then he is, he is swallowed up, and we're not sure what happens in the next three days, three nights. But then it says this, verse 10, I love this. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Whatever this huge fish is, it it beaches itself back at Joppa, where the journey began. And he beaches himself. Now, if a whale beached itself down at Solana Beach, what would happen? Would the news show up? Yeah. And the crowds begin to gather? Well, I mean, you can't miss it, right? Well, there's a whale on the beach. In fact, I've never seen one that big. Whatever. And, and, and the whale... You know, and Jonah bloops up onto the beach and he gets up. Now, we we don't know all the details here, but all we know is this. People believed they they probably saw him vomited up onto the beach. They saw him come out. Scientists have said that no matter what condition God did to preserve him, uh, that that time in the belly of the fish would produce... Uh, he would, his skin would be bleached out, just white as snow, and he would, the pigmentation would be bleached, and the outer layers of skin would be off, and he would look rather ghostly, and, and it was not a pretty sight, you know. Being, that's not a good way to show up at the party, okay? But something caused everyone to believe Jonah's story. I'd like to get even a little more specific i kind of imagine jonah you know he's probably carrying a copy of his ticket to tarshish right in his pocket when they chuck him over you know so you know the guys that sold him the ticket he comes back three days you know you know after three days in the fish we don't know how long they traveled before this all happened by the way because they had gotten some pretty far distance Um, i did do a quick search just for humor's sake to say okay if you took a big whale like a blue whale how fast does it swim it swims at about if it's in a hurry, it can swim 20 to 34 miles per hour. So if you do the math for three days, that's about 720 plus miles per day that, he, that if he was really energized by God, which this fish was, he could travel. And you do the math for three days, that's about 2,000 miles. That fish could have swam. Best case scenario. So I checked the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Because Tarshish is somewhere on the far west and Joppa on the far east. The Mediterranean is 2,300 miles from point to point east to west. So I don't know. He could have been 500 miles, 1,000 miles. He could have been near Tarshish. He could have been 2,000 miles away at this point. We don't know, but it took the fish three days to get back and throw him up on the beach. What's that have to do with anything? Not much, but it sure makes for the story to be more interesting. He's afraid, but he cries out to God. And then we find that he's not just crying out to God, but now um, he decides to serve God. And in chapter 4, he is frustrated and angry with God, but he does what God says. So, you know, in chapter 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time when he arrives on the beach saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the proclamation I'm going to tell you. Same message. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he does what God tells him to do. He goes to Nineveh. Chapter 4 tells the story. He preaches the challenge to them. He goes to the king. The word reached the king in verse 6, chapter 3. And the king arose... From his throne, the king of Nineveh, and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and and sat on ashes, which is a symbol of repentance and he issued a proclamation and said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. they called a, a nationwide fast, do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and ashes and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which has been in his hands and who knows maybe this God will relent and withdraw his anger so that we will not perish they actually repented of their sin cried out to the God of Israel placed their faith there and verse 10 chapter 3 when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked ways then God relented concerning the calamity that he had declared and he would that he would bring on them and he did not do it and Nineveh was saved now at this point you're a great prophet now this is a pretty successful journey right chapter four Jonah is just angry with God and my summary is this he says God this is why I went to Tarshish I knew that you would do this I knew that if I went there and proclaimed this, you would probably miraculously turn their hearts from their sin and they would repent and they would not be fried like they deserve it. Jonah was disappointed that the Ninevites were not punished by God because he hated them. He had reason to dislike them. They were a wicked people. and Jonah is, is a prophet of God and He does what God wants and he goes to temple and he goes to, you know, he's in a life group and he even helps with the three-year-olds and he tithes, he does all this stuff. You know, Jonah is a prophet of God and and these are wicked people and God, they deserve your wrath. So he's upset with God. So he says to God in verse three, love this chapter four, verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better than for me than life. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? So Jonah goes, verse five, up on this up on a mountain overlooking the city. And he goes up on a hill and he sets down. Because here's what Jonah's thinking. He's thinking, you know something? This repentance thing is going to last two or three days, but they're going to go back to their wicked ways. And I don't want to miss it when God zaps them. So he's, he's, he thinks there's still chance for the, for the, you know, fry the Ninevite party to happen. So he is on the hill observing, and he's angry with God for not giving them all that he had said he was going to lay down. And, and he's angry with God. He's disappointed that, you know, that they didn't get judged by God. And he's sitting on the hill, and it is hot hot, hot at this time in this part of the world. And it's like the very worst Santa Ana winds that you can imagine are coming off the desert and and, and he is on the top of the hill and there's no good shade and he's trying to find some shade. So God does a funny thing. God causes a a miraculously, another miracle, a, a shade plant to grow up and shade Jonah. And Jonah is happy now wow thank you god and he's sitting in the shade waiting for the for the for the destruction to come and, and watching what might happen and then god then the very next day god sends a worm to eat the shaft of the of this plant and it immediately wilts and dies and he's back in the sun and now he's really mad at god because god took away his shade tree so the book ends with this why does god bother to do this Here's what he says. The Lord said, verse 10 Jonah, you had compassion on your plant for which you did not work and you did not cause it to grow, but it came up overnight and just perished overnight. It's just a plant. Should I, as God, not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't even know the difference in their right and their left hand? It was a phrase to describe little children who hadn't learned right from left yet. He said, this great city has 120,000 little kids, plus their families, estimated 700 to 800,000 people in Nineveh. He says, shouldn't I have compassion on them? All you care about is the plant. To which Jonah then says, i don't know the story ends the story sets me up for like the sequel jonah the sequel so why does god just end the story there well let me very briefly try to pull from the story what i think god is up to there's two big ideas in this story and i can give them to you very quickly number one is it teaches me a lot about the heart of god it teaches me a a lot about the heart of god now I don't have time in one story to teach you all of this but let me give you a clue if you are a woman in this church the women's Bible study series this fall is a seven week study of Jonah so if you really if this is getting your attention sign up for that by the way you can sign up for it any any time but here's the deal I think it teaches me about the heart of God in the story we see the holiness of God God defines what's evil and what's not not the culture. In our culture today, in postmodern America, we think we define right and wrong, good and evil. God says, No, I do. I'm the holy God. Good and evil is defined by me, not your culture. If you learn nothing else this morning, that's a takeaway for us. God is the one who's holy. God is omniscient in the story, He watches all that we do. He is omnipresent. You can't get away from Him even if you buy the ticket for the furthest point west. He is just and ready to be the judge. God will judge all of humanity. Build this list. I think I'm rattling them off too fast. There we go. Thanks. I'm sorry. should have warned you. Uh, God is compassionate in the story. He wants the Ninevites to be saved. God doesn't find joy in discipline and judging. God wants, desires our salvation and the salvation of pagan peoples that worship the wrong gods. We don't have a God that is... That is like, well, you know, they just deserve it. I don't care about them anymore. God loves the world. Which, by the way, is why we go to Rwanda. It's why we go to Congo. It's why we'll go to Tanzania. It's why that we are doing what we can do as a church to seek to bring the good news of Christ to people that don't know the true God. Because if you don't know the true God, you're not ready for life now or in eternity. Most of our neighbors don't know the true God. We live in Nineveh. Do you realize that? As a culture. Maybe you don't stack skulls by the road and stuff like that after an election, okay? I thank God we don't do that. But we live in a place of tremendous wickedness as a culture and perversion. And if you think God is kind of taking the poll as to whether it's perversion or not, God sees and God is just and God is holy. And, but He's compassionate and He wants us to be as well. He is patient in this story. He's not a quick trigger God. Boy, I thank God for that in my life. He's patient. He's gracious. He's purposeful. He had a purpose for Jonah's life that he was living out and for these people so this is this is the true God. See, understanding the truth about God is the basis of everything you do in life. Don't live life making up your own God. That's very stupid. Because living with a false God as your God is, 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 is asinine. Don't do that. So it tells us a lot about God. And you'll see more in the women's study, I'm sure. It makes me almost want to disguise myself and come to the study but i'm not going to do that okay but we also learn about ourselves see the contrast between god and jonah because jonah i think represents me god is just jonah wants vengeance god is compassionate jonah is uncaring we'll bring these up see Uh, see the contrast yeah so jonah was vengeful jonah was uncaring god is patient i'm usually impatient if you're i want it now God is gracious, I'm usually unforgiving. God is purposeful, I'm just not available, God. I'm too busy to do what you want me to do. So I just want you to look at that list for a moment. Because, you know, when I look at that list, here's what I realize. I could put Dale instead of Jonah. And more often than not, when I'm not walking with the Spirit of God, following Christ I can slip back into being vengeful, uncaring, impatient, unforgiving, unavailable jerk. So if you were to take all of that and condense it down, I leave you with two statements. Number one, we have reason to rejoice. Because we are the prophets of the good news of grace. Prophets of the good news of grace. Isn't that great? To know that we know the truth about a God who is a God of grace... And we are prophets like Jonah. In fact, you say, well, I'm not like Jonah. I mean, I've never been swallowed and spit up. But have you been resurrected? See, the other half to this is we are all resurrected prophets, rescued with a story to tell. In fact, I'm going to stop on this point because it's so central. You are a resurrected, you once were dead, now you're alive in Christ, prophet of the Most High, God of grace. And that's why every day, here and around the world, we need to be helping the Ninevites of San Diego or of East Africa understand the good news of grace. And if God is so good, we find joy in seeing them come to faith. But is this easy? And that is my final point. To do this, you've got to commit to a courageous obedience. You've got to commit to a courageous type of obedience, because it takes courage to follow Jesus in a culture that is hostile to him at times. And our, we're, we're nowhere as bad as the Ninevites, but you know some, increasingly the culture does not like our message or our God. But what a joy to be called to have courageous obedience to know that you can go out on a limb with God and be safe. The best place to be is out on a limb with God. Jonah learned that the hard way. In fact, I'm not sure Jonah ever learned it. So let's learn it from him. Amen? Amen. We're going to go to the Lord's table now because it's the reminder that we indeed have been saved by his grace, that Christ died for our sins, He rose from the dead, just like Jonah. Jesus rose from the dead in order to show us that we can be alive in Christ now and forever. That is the heartbeat of our faith. So pray with me before we take the elements together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this incredible truth about Jonah, the life that you gave back to him. Thank you for his resurrection on a beach, Help us to learn the lessons about our God and about our own hearts. And help us to be your church. Help us to find joy in committing to courageous, bold obedience as prophets of the God of grace. Would you pause for a second and just pray that over yourself? Make me a prophet of grace to my culture a communicator of the truth about God to my culture. And give me the courage to do it, even when it's not safe to do it. And Lord, as we go to the Lord's table now, would you bless this time of worship as we reflect for the next 10 minutes or so and worship you in Christ's name. Amen. tables, as is often our tradition, are sprinkled around the room and The team will lead us in some time of quiet reflection, worship, prayer, however you want to spend it. Only when you're ready, don't be rushed. Uh, Go to one of the four locations and, and serve yourself. This little piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus, sacrificed for you, for your sins. The cup representing the blood of Christ, shed for you so that you may be resurrected as a prophet of grace. And maybe this morning say, Lord, What am I afraid of? And then if we can pray with you, some of our leaders will be around the cross. And maybe there's something in your life you'd say, would you pray for me because I'm I'm fearful, like Jonah. And, uh, or if there's anything else we can pray with you about, we'll be at the cross during this time. Father, thank you for the elements as we eat and drink. As followers of Jesus, we pray that we might recommit ourselves to uh, our love for you and to the mission that you've given us. In Christ's name, amen.